This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. A draft of long-awaited updated standards for long-term care in Canada was released at the end of January. And the takeaway is this. Had they been in place already, these standards, thousands of lives could have been saved. To date, 16,000 nursing home residents have died in Canada after contracting COVID. That is more than half of all the related deaths. The proposed new guidelines are focused on providing care and quality of life for residents, as well as a positive work environment. These include fair pay and benefits and appropriate staff levels for workers. The standards also reflect the residents' rights to live with a certain degree of risk if they choose, such as leaving the premises to see family whenever they wish. If the updated standards are accepted, they would be used to accredit homes. But as we know from the pandemic, the history is that rules are not always enforced and bad actors go unpunished. Our Zoomer squad talked about these proposed new standards for long-term care with Libby on Monday. Here are Peter Mugrich, senior editor at Zoomer magazine, David Kravitz, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, chief operating officer and chief policy officer of CARP, a new vision of aging. There's nothing new in these proposed standards. We're seeing only a part of the standards and studies that are being proposed. The national standards uh, um, for long-term care are still going to be looked at by three other groups. This is only the first of three draft uh, reports. It's a lot of talk, a lot of uh, a, a lot of committees, and still uh, no no action. And you know, even their re- repeated recommendations about a new way of genuinely uh, being homes that that people want to live in. Governments continue to renovate and build using the old warehouse model of uh, long-term care. So uh, we're disappointed this is so slow. We're disappointed that there's no real action, and it's going to take at least until this time next year before any kind of final recommendations will even be out let alone implemented. David, but is there, I mean, a turning point is probably too strong, but is there, do you, do you begin to see uh, a, a small turning when it comes to this idea of what they call patient-centered care, which of course involves like completely reorganizing how they deliver the care, but do you see like a glimmer here? Yes, I, I actually do, and I think that the idea that this is a home, um, the word nursing home, which we've used forever, contains the word home, um, is an interesting uh, idea as a statement of philosophy. And I think the real problem here is, can I put on this document a burden which I cannot reasonably ask it to bear? As a statement of strategy in 42 pages of 
recommendations, there's nothing in here to, to, to disagree with. Uh, as a blueprint for execution, given the people that are running the system and how long they take, uh, I think there's everything to despair of because good luck bringing any of this in. There is also one sort of problem they finesse here, and that is if it's really my home or it's a quasi version of my home and I have a certain amount of independence and I can make certain decisions, what happens in the case of a pandemic where those decisions you know, impact other people that are living there? And what happens to the legal liability of the operators, be they profit or, or not for profit? That's going to be a big stumbling block that's going to take a lot of uh, work multiplied by 10 different provinces with maybe 10 different ideas. So we have a long way to go here, but I do like the underlying philosophy of finally placing the patient at the center of things. No matter how bad things get, nobody seems to pay the price, Peter. I think it's important because it, it sort of, maybe it represents, as you say, a small shift in our way of thinking. For years, we've just thought of um, older residents as, you know, people who go to these warehouses and they're built around the routines of workers, the, uh, you know, the... Um, routines of management, the convenience of, of, of workers, and not about the patients themselves or the families. And I, and I think this is a big um, a change in viewpoint. And, and if that's the only thing it accomplishes, because neither Bill nor David seem very confident that it'll accomplish anything um, down the road, um, if, if, it, if it accomplishes one thing, and that's to shift the notion that these are people, these are people with uh, rights, these are people with wants, and... They sh- these these are people that should be respected, and and if if it accomplishes anything, um, I hope it accomplishes that. Peter Mugrich, senior editor at Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, chief operating officer and chief policy officer of CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Monday was the day many of us were waiting for. We could begin going back to restaurants, gyms, and movie theaters, at least on a limited basis. It's a big relief for business owners, though for many, the temporary 50% capacity rule won't be enough to keep them going. Libby welcomed Victor Valley, general manager of Scotiabank Theatre Toronto, and Alita Solomon, owner and chef at Tutimati Restaurant downtown. Yeah, the downtown's become pretty quiet. Um, uh, Tutimati is at Adeline and Spadina, so we have really felt... um, the last two years has been really hard on the entire neighborhood. Um, and as a collective, I think we're all just so excited to be open again uh, and start to see some some movement downtown, which would be really nice. Mm-hmm. What about you, Victor? You know what? We were used to seeing a lot of people before and then the closures happened. But, you know, just before we closed down, Spider-Man opened up and we saw that there was, you know, a real appetite uh, to watch movies on the big screen. So a lot of guests did come out and enjoy uh, Spider-Man, which was great. And then we also had the Canadian premiere of The Matrix Resurrections, in which Keanu Reeves was uh, at our theater. So it was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Alita, um, so are you uh, reservations? Uh, how's it looking? So we, um, we, Tutti Matti was open six days a week, uh, say two years ago. So we would be open five days for lunch and six dinners a week. Um, due to the lack of business downtown during the day, unfortunately, we don't have enough crowd 
to fill the restaurant at lunch. So we are remaining closed for now uh, at lunchtime until until people start to feel more comfortable downtown and you start to see some the offices start to fill up, uh, which is which would be phenomenal because Chuti had become like this hub for the last 19 years for a, a lot of the creative uh, talent in Toronto, whether you're an architect or in animation. We had a, a great crowd. So we're staying closed now at lunch until we can start to feel probably I'm hoping by spring we start to see some motion in the office. And then for dinner right now, we're open Wednesday to Saturday um, before Christmas. Uh, up until December 14th, we had started to open for lunch and dinner. Um, but we started to see, see a decline on the, around the 14th of December when things started to get um, a little tense in the city. So we're, right now we're open Wednesday to Saturday uh, for dinner service only. In terms of movie theaters, Victor, what are you expecting? So we're opening up with 50% capacity. There will be a little bit of social distancing occurring in the theater. So when someone purchases a ticket, uh, the system will automatically block one seat to the left and to the right after the purchase is made. Uh, business will be a little bit slow uh, as we start to open up. And the newest product that we have is Screen, uh, which just by looking at the sales today, it's like not bad. It will be our number one movie today at this theater. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think everyone deserves to to leave their homes and go out for a couple of hours and enjoy a dinner and, you know, in a movie somewhere, right? And with Valentine's Day a couple of weeks away and hopefully get this ball rolling, right? Alida, so uh, with your limited service and the limited capacity, w- would you say what percentage of, of normal are you at in terms of your revenue? And, and uh, if, you know, are, is that enough? Um, I mean, we're, we won't be close to what our usual revenue is until we're able to be at full capacity. I mean, unfortunately, um, people are still very cautious about eating out. And we're just, I mean, our, our books filled up with regulars. The moment I opened up Wednesday's re- reservations, I got emails and phone calls and people so excited to, to come back out. But it was the same crowd of people who were comfortable pre-Christmas uh, that have started to come out. But I just say to people, you know, if you're not comfortable being in a space where people are moving around, um, you know, they're eating and you're sitting two tables away from someone else. As restaurant owners, we, you know, we are doing our best to make everybody comfortable. All our staff are masked and waiting for you, a smiles behind those masks. But we also have to just remember to be kind to each other because this is, it's, it's, um, it's a, diff- a very different kind of hospitality that we're dealing with right now. It's not what we're used to. So I just say to everybody, come out, have a great time, enjoy yourself, but just remember to be kind to each other. So looking forward to being back uh, at work. We have all, me and the staff and I are just looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, people and people excited to eat. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's Toronto and we just need to start to get back to, uh, to normal and by, by being hospitable to each other. And I'm really, really excited. Alita Solomon, owner and chef at Tutti Matti Restaurant in downtown Toronto, and Victor Valley, general manager of Scotiabank Theatre Toronto. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the occupation of Ottawa. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
This week's conservative leadership vote came just days after the height of the anti-vaccine mandate demonstrations in Ottawa. Prior to the vote, crowds had thinned out considerably on Parliament Hill, but they were still blocking streets near the hill, and some residents and business owners have been unable to go about life as they normally would. Police were saying they'd been negotiating with organizers, but not moving the protesters out by force for fear of causing more violence than was already seen. If you were following the events of last weekend, residents were saying they were attacked for wearing masks. There was desecration of monuments, people relieving themselves on residential lawns, and swastikas and other hate symbols being waved around. And here at Zoomer Radio, our news department was getting flack from people who support the convoy for reporting these incidents, saying that doing so reflects a bias. We stand behind our reporting and disagree with these complaints. As for Aaron O'Toole, he ended up being turfed by his own MPs on Wednesday. Ahead of the vote on Tuesday, Libya was joined by our strategy panelists to discuss all of the ongoings in Ottawa. Here are Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and Conservative John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner Fleischman Hillard High Road. You know, obviously, this is the kind of stuff that that you know those in the party never want to see aired. Uh, you know, it's it's the proverbial dirty laundry being aired, and and I know that all political parties have to go through this, and and Charles, uh, you know, has has gone through it in the past. But look, I, I, the vote is there. I think Aaron O'Toole has made it pretty clear that he's happy to see that this vote is finally going to take place, likely tomorrow or the next day. Um, you know, the, the, the rules say that 50% plus one of caucus is enough for a win. I think he'll end up getting more than that. And I think it's a decision for him to make after that. But, you know, there, it's, it's finally going to get aired and it's finally going to get done and, and resolved one way or the other. Okay. Karen, uh, what do you make of this? Well, I actually think that this could be Aaron O'Toole's leadership moment. And because you remember when Christy Clark was battling with her own party in BC and she came out successful and that just really changed her whole political trajectory. So I think if, if, if Aaron O'Toole is able to stare down this vote and come out victorious on the other end, then I think that he will own the podium. And I think he needs to. Um, and if he can't win this vote, then he, you know, of course, then he needs to go. Um, it's an unfortunate outcome for the party, I think. Um, but this is this is really his moment. This is his defining moment. And I'm, and I'm, I'm hoping he's victorious in it. Charles Sousa, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, Pierre Polyevra and Leslin Lewis handing out coffee to the protesters, and that's been described as kind of uh, the, the lead-up to their leadership bids. Yeah, it's pretty sad when you think of that as being the base. And, you know, Aaron O'Toole has to step up and fight off this revolt. And it's, it's strange to me. I mean, this goes back to the old days. I mean, they were smart when they merged the reform in the West and the progressive conservatives, they dropped the whole progressive term. And it's still the case today. You know, be it conversion therapy that became or the environmental issues or science, there seems to be a lack of tolerance. And there's a faction in this party who seems to be a better fit with Maxime Bernier and the People's Party. Like, I don't get why they're ruining what they have, which would be the uh, opposition to lead going forward in the next possible election and they are doing damage to themselves and it, it shocks me 
Some people are saying that, you know, maybe there's going to be a Canadian-style tea party, John. Do you see that coalescing? Well, I think that's what Maxime Bernier is trying to tap into and unsuccessfully uh, to date. Um, but, you know, as, as someone who was quite involved with the uh, Unite the Right movement back in, in 2000, um, when, the, when the legacy parties merged, you know, the, there's no question that there was some level of, of the progressive conservative wing and then the reform alliance wing of the party. I thought Stephen Harper was the right leader, uh, obviously, because he was quite successful as, as a leader and prime minister to bring the two parties together and to kind of build that bridge between the, the various factions. And you know, I think you'd mentioned in your monologue, uh, Libby, that there's two factions, there's multiple factions, and, and I would say that multiple factions in most parties, but really the, the sort of the red Tory and the and the blue Tory kind of split has always been there. And I think there's a, a leader that, that can really try to bridge those two. We see that with Mike Harris. We see that with Stephen Harper and, and others. Um, and, and, and Doug Ford as well uh, currently. But I think Aaron O'Toole has been trying to do that. I do hope he survives this leadership uh, vote. I think he will. I think that it'll finally put the, 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 this issue to rest because caucus will have had their chance to voice uh, and then he could move on, whether or not he'll have the, the confidence moving forward. But I suspect that that will be the case. But it's one of those where I think he's been trying to make that that bridge between the various factions work, uh, as most leaders try to do. And then sometimes it's harder than others. And, and we're seeing a lot of that from the West, um, you know, because of the Wexit movement and others getting a little bit more. Uh, more, more sort of solidified uh, in their, in their, um, in their voice and in the protests within the party. Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and Conservative John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. They were in conversation with Libby on Tuesday before Aaron O'Toole lost his job as Conservative leader on Wednesday. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Gong Hei Fat Choi, Happy Lunar New Year. It is celebrated across Asia and around the world, including among a huge number of people here in the GTA from the Chinese, Korean, and Vietnamese communities. We have entered the Year of the Tiger, and celebrations include cultural events and lots of food. On Tuesday, Libby was joined to acknowledge the Lunar New Year by Clemen Fung, manager of Hong Sheng Restaurant in Toronto, and Michael Grit, the center manager at the Chinese Cultural Center of Greater Toronto. The history of the uh, Chinese New Year, they actually called the Spring Festival in China, uh, goes back for literally for centuries. Um, but it's evolved into a celebration where uh, to honor ancestors, uh, there's family reunions, there's street parties, street parades, fireworks, and lots and lots and lots of food. <laughs> <laughs> Clement Fung, there there are special foods which symbolize special things. Um, what have you got? Yeah, so in our Chinese culture, there's a lot of foods that symbolize um, wealth, prosperity, health, and all that stuff. And it's mainly derived from words that are similar in sounds, where um, it represents such things. So in our culture, how to name certain dishes are based on wishing prosperity, wishing health, wishing health and all these things to people. So when they consume the dish, it's like, oh, you're you're eating prosperity or you're eating to have good health. You're eating to have good luck and all that stuff. So what's your menu? Our menu uh, right now consists of six dishes. We have um, claws, we have 
a ginger scallion fried cod. We have a garlic beef tenderloin. We have a mushroom medley, a um, prosperity lobster, and we have like a golden fried rice. Mm-hmm. No longevity noodles. That's one of the things I keep reading about uh, long noodles for a long life. And when you eat them, it's even better if you don't bite through them. Uh, it is. Um, it's just that it's very, very common. It's not just for the New Year. Usually people eat it for uh, birthdays as well. Uh, it symbolizes like a long life and all that. Um, but this year we intended to kind of play with other things. Um we brought back the crab claws, which is a very, um, very well-known dish that a lot of people like, and uh, it's usually eaten during uh, celebrations, um, so that we can kind of push these new or traditional flavor traditional dishes to everyone to kind of get to know our culture. Michael, uh, can you tell us anything about the Year of the Tiger? Well, the Year of the Tiger um, is supposed to be people who are born that uh, during the year are thought to be uh, like natural-born leaders. Um, they're often to, uh, seen as brave, uh, thrill-seeking, um, courageous, energetic. Uh, it's supposed to be a very positive, energetic, um, um, sort of go-forward kind, of, uh, kind of a year. Um, so the Year of the Tiger is, uh, is a very, very good year. Uh-huh. And uh, is there a focus on prosperity in the Year of the Tiger? Yes, absolutely. Uh, year of the Tiger, uh, just uh, some of the examples of those who have been uh, born in the Year of the Tiger who are very prosperous include uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, <laughs> Lady Gaga, Tom Cruise, even our own Sean Mendes. So uh, the Year of the Tiger is, uh, is seen as very prosperous here. It's, uh, you know, the year of the tiger would be good for people born in certain other years. I was very happy to hear I'm, I was born in the, a year of the horse, and that's supposed to be good in a year of the tiger. Um, I'm not quite sure how that all works in terms of which year is good for which year. I was born in the year of the rat, and apparently that goes very well with the tigers. So, um, so it's, uh, it's a good thing. Clemen, uh, I think last year it was all takeout that you were offering, but you probably have uh, people coming into the restaurant this time. Yeah, um, because uh, the restrictions lifted and uh, we can open dining again, a lot of people are coming in for the, the dinners as well. So everybody's celebrating you know, at home and also um, at the restaurant. Clement Fung, manager of Hong Xing Restaurant in Toronto, and Michael Grit, the center manager at the Chinese Cultural Center of Greater Toronto. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Emily in Goderich phoned about non-urgent procedures and surgeries being rescheduled. I was scheduled to have a colonoscopy done on February the 3rd. Um, I was put on, I was speaking with the hospital. They said uh, this is previous 
I'll say two weeks ago, they said it would maybe be on hold. I had a call yesterday, and I have my colonoscopy as scheduled. Oh, that's great news. So, obviously, some hospitals certainly got the word, or maybe were more diligent to get out to their people. Victor in Etobicoke called with his thoughts on the anti-vaccine mandate demonstrations and protests in Ottawa. I got videos from the Capitol when that big riot there last year. If you look at what's going on here, it's the same. Canadians don't do what they do. We are not like that. There are people here, okay, that are making trouble for us. You got to think about that. You got the people, the base in Winnipeg. You got Proud Boys. How do you know they're not here? Why doesn't Why doesn't Trudeau, or whatever, get this National Guard, get these soldiers out of there before it gets too late? Okay. These guys are troublemakers. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Kathy in Niagara, who also phoned about the Ottawa demonstrations. I'm so disappointed with Canadians. I never thought I'd see the day when Canadians would act like a bunch of stupid Americans protesting in Ottawa like they are. I mean, it's one thing to protest, but they're being real ridiculous. They, they they have all these different reasons why they're protesting. It started out one thing, and now it's 12 other things. And O'Toole, I think, is an idiot going up there and taking their side. What is wrong with him? Doesn't he believe in law and order? That's not right. I wouldn't vote for him if he's the last guy on earth. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.